All right, so here we are with our next chapter, our next segment in our series, which is on Glimpses of a Golden Childhood by Osho. So if you'd like to, you can go back and listen to the previous episodes. We've discussed a lot already, particularly with the orientation and where we're at with the story and how this book came about. Otherwise, you can continue on and we'll be talking today. I thought today what we would do is just take a look at Osho's education. And you might ask yourself, did Osho go to school? And the answer is, not really. As the story goes, he was unschooled until the age of nine. And he actually describes that as a blessing. He says he was very glad that he didn't have to go to school until the age of nine. So he spent his days playing, roaming the woods, meeting other people, going about the neighborhood and doing what he does. And he did have a number of tutors at that time. So as the story goes, (laughs) a lot of the tutors would turn up and... They'd only last one day and they'd say, look, I just, I just can't teach this kid. I just can't work with him. He's completely unable to, to listen or to do anything. And there was one tutor that was able to stick with Osho and teach him some things and actually see, well, there is some genius in this kid. This kid is some sort of anomaly in some way. And Osho actually used to hit this teacher at certain times, sort of in the same way that he sort of hits his assistants as he's working in the dentist chair. And Osho even said to the teacher, when he hit him, the tutor, one day you'll understand. And as it turned out, many years later, that tutor came to Osho and became one of his followers. He became a sannyasin and he came back and he said, yes, now I understand. And this thing of hitting someone, I mean, it's in Zen culture, sort of in today's age and where we're at with our cultural climate, you might think, oh, that's so cruel to hit someone. That's so terrible. You should never hit anyone for, for any reason ever, right? I, I can sort of understand that. And so that's sort of where we, generally speaking, feel to sit with our opinion on hitting people. But you got to understand that Zen culture is very different. It was, it was common for the Zen master to hit its students, their students. And that was actually a kind of compassion. That was a kind of waking up. That was, a, that was an understanding that students had with their Zen masters in that tradition. So Osho sort of has that in him. It's not as though he's particularly, a, it's not as though that he is a Zen master and it's not as though that his followers are Zen students per se, but there's just something in that to be wary of. So, he did have a tutor, one-on-one, who was able to teach him some basic things. And when he goes to actually start school, Osho completely refuses. And he says to his father, I am not going to school at all. And his father says, well, you have to. And Osho says, well, you're going to have to drag me. You're actually going to have to literally drag me. So his father takes him by the hand and he drags him to school. And Osho said, look, 
I had to make you do that because I would never do this under my own free will. So at least now I can say that you made me do this against my will. And from there, from the first day of school, basically there was non-stop trouble for Osho. He was getting into fights with the teachers. He was getting into arguments. He was expelled again and again. He went to different schools and sometimes he would only last one day and they would kick him out and they'd try and find another school. And there's there's dozens and dozens of stories of Osho having confrontations with the adults in the school and having various outrageous outcomes. So, for example, one time he turns up and Osho's sort of in his class on the first day and he's looking out the window at the bird and the teacher sort of says, you know, pay attention, do you know what I'm saying? And Osho turns around and he says, I do know what you're saying and gives the right answer, right? <laughs> it's sort of like that classic thing where the teacher says, did you hear what I was saying? And the, the student says, well, yes, this is what you were saying and they get it right, you know? <laughs> and with this one particular teacher, he sort of argues, why would I listen to you when this bird out the window is more interesting? And the teacher punishes him by saying, okay, now you go outside and be near that bird. And so Osha says, yes, very gladly. And he does it and he goes out and he actually stand and he stands and he watches the bird and he enjoys it. <laughs> and then there's this other one where the teacher goes to punish Osho by saying, you've got to do, you know, exercises or something. You must do 10 leg up exercises. And so Osho says, ah, very good. I haven't done my exercise today. I won't do 10. I'll do 100 of them. And he sort of like takes the punishment and turns it into his own benefit. And that happens again and again, right? It's like, no matter what you do to punish the kid, he, he turns it and flips it around. And then there's another one where he gets in trouble with the teacher and the teacher puts pencils in his fingers and then sort of like hurts his hand, crunches his hand. And as he's doing this, the Osho is saying to this teacher, if you do this, you are going to regret it. And the teacher goes through with it anyway. And then Osho gets it in for him and says, okay, I'm going to put a stop to this. And he goes to the school principal and talks to the principal. And the principal is basically like, well, he's a teacher. We can't really get him in trouble because he's doing what his job basically mandates. And we know he's a bit difficult, but we can't really call him out just for this one little thing. And so Osha says, okay, well, the principal's not going to work. I'm going to go to the municipal municipal. I can never pronounce that word. Basically, he goes to the higher authority, the local authorities, and he meets one of the deputies there, right? Like the police deputy. And he actually has a son in that school and he knows this teacher, right? He's heard about this teacher and he basically says the same thing. He says, look, we know this teacher is really mean and really tough, but we can't really do anything about it. We can't really get him in trouble because, you know, no one really stands up to him and it's not it's not exactly wrong what he's doing. So Osho then escalates, escalates it and he goes to the police minister, right? So instead of the deputy, he goes to the minister and he talks to him and the minister 
through talking through uh, with Osho, actually realizes, well, we, we need to do something about it. And the minister turns up at the school, talks to the principal, talks to the other staff, and this teacher actually gets fired. That was the end result of it. On his first day, right, it was clear, and, and Osho sort of had said it like this, if, if this, this school is not big enough for the two of us, right, it's, it's almost like that little old saying, <laughs> this town ain't big enough for the two of us, one of us has got to go. And Osho knew, well, it was either going to be him or it was going to be this teacher. And I think by this stage, he'd already been expelled from multiple schools, so he's sort of he was sort of used to it, right? He was sort of like, well, if I get expelled from another school, what's the, what's the problem? What's the loss? And yeah, to have that outcome of that situation where the teacher does something wrong, Osho stands up for himself and actually goes through the authorities and actually goes on this, does the work to assert his will out into the community to get a positive result. Because a lot of the people ended up saying, well, we're so glad that teacher is gone because he really was ugly. He really was mean. He really was a terrible teacher to have. So really, it, it, it's the good fight, right? He's doing the right thing by fighting back and pushing back and going through all of the red tape. So quite a quite an amazing confrontation there. And then this is just one of many stories. I mean, there was another story where Osho writes with his left hand. And in those days, there was this thing that you always have to write with your right hand. I notice I've actually got my left and right mixed up. This is my left hand. So Osho goes to write with his left hand. And at that time, like it was in so many countries, this was the same in Australia as well during that time, the left hand was considered the wrong hand, so you use your right hand. So the people that were naturally prone to right brain mechanics, which is left left hand dominance, were repressed in that way, and Osho was that. And so he actually stood up and said, no, what is the reason for this? I'm going to write with my right my left hand if that's what... It feels right for me. And the teacher says, if you're going to argue, you can go to the principal's office. And he goes to the principal's office. And the principal says, if you're going to argue this, then you'll go before the panel. And I know you're a treacherous boy. You've already got your reputation. You're always causing trouble. So we're going to speak to the panel. And then he appears in front of the panel and he says, give me in writing scientific reasons as to why I should write with my right hand instead of my left hand. And he really, like, you could sort of imagine this kid being, like, really angry and, like, really pushy about it and just, like, uh, right? You get that. When you read this story, you get that sort of sense. And, and he's sort of in front of these adults who are, like, shocked and, uh, like, sort of afraid, like, well... We've never really even thought of this, and we've we've just gone along with it. And maybe he's right, but we can't admit that. You know, they're in this, they're in this bind. They're in this sort of stalemate in their mind, and and really, ultimately, if you look at it, like, what's the truth of the matter? Why is it that people had forced were forced to use their right hand instead of their left? I mean, now we have it, right? When you go to school now, you can use your left or your right. That's just how it goes. One in five people are left-handed. I'm left-handed. Well, I try to be as 
ambidextrous as I can, but I'm I'm dominantly left-handed for a lot of things. So for him to fight the fight and to have the good, like fight the fight and have the good fight is to, to really have that kind of energy. And it's so rare to find a kid like that. It's so rare to find someone who can do that from an early age, right? Normally we we as autonomous beings, as autonomous individuals, we reach a point in our early adulthood where we sense the repression that we've been under and then we rebel. And that's that's normal. I mean, not everyone has that. A lot of people do just stay in their lane their whole life. But if you've got any sort of inkling as to what's going on at all, then you have to have a rebellious phase. You have to have a rebellious opening. And Osho found that very early on, from a very early age, and really pronounced it. And it wasn't like it wasn't like he was a difficult child to work with who was just an idiot and impulsive and sort of violent, right? He wasn't exactly violent. It was just that he really knew there was some deeper truth to the matter, right? Because the things that he would fight on were true, right? The teacher that hurt his hand with the pencils really was a bad teacher. And the truth of whether you use your left hand or your right hand really is like, well, that's that's true. That's the bottom line. So he was fighting the good fight on the right terms. And then there was another story where it was the school photo day. And Osho wouldn't go to school normally anyway, but he made sure not to go on that day because he didn't want to be in the photo. But he'd actually arranged to have a different photographer turn up and to have the normal photographer fired. (laughs) You, You can't believe these stories, right? They're so outrageous. He'd actually made friends with this new photographer and he'd turned up and then Osho had started talking to the people and the powers that be and insisting, make sure he remains as the photographer. And then there was also this side plot where the photographer had forgotten his like his canister or something or his film or something had gone wrong and he was going to fail to get the school photos on that day. And so he'd arrange like either Osho himself or someone had arranged to, you know, run and get the canister and turn up and fix it up. And then, and then Osho was like to the, to the new new photographer. Now you really have to be good and you really have to not mess up like that because my reputation is on the line as well here. Right, and I can't remember the exact reasonings. Maybe it was for a favor. It was because he was friends with Osho, but he still remembered <laughs> through the years. Right, it was the little thing that he kept in contact with the school for to make sure is that photographer still there. He's the new photographer that he reinstated. So, and and these sorts of stories, like there's so many stories like that where you just think, like, like what kind of kid does that? What kind of kid goes and has those those conversations and asserts himself that much and does it so successfully to get the outcome of the arrangement, right? I I can't fathom it. I can't understand it. So eventually Osho did find a school where he could have a particular arrangement 
And the arrangement went like this. He said to the principal, you will mark me as present for every day so that I can pass the school exams and pass for attendance, right? Because to pass school, you have to have a certain amount of attendance. And he says to the the principal, look, you're going to mark me every single day, but I'm never going to come. I will only come when I want to. And his bargaining was, well, one of the things that Osho said to bargain with it is that he insisted that if there's anything in the class that is not in the book, then he will go to the class. And the principal actually went to the the library with Osho, and Osho is sort of, you know, showing him around the books. And Osho saying, look, I know what's in these books. I've basically read all these now. But remember, by this stage, Osho has built his own library. So he's learnt to read and write, and he's basically already read thousands and thousands of books. And the the difference is, well, what is being taught in the classroom, which is not in the books? And the teacher says, well, there's nothing because the teachers teach from the books, right? They go straight from the textbook. They're just recanting the information from the book to the class. So Osho said, well, I'll do the exams. I know what's in these. You mark me as present, full attendance rate. You won't have trouble. And that other side of it, which was you won't have trouble, was kind of a threat which the principal had to take seriously because he knew this kid had a serious reputation. He was friends with the police minister. He was friends with, you know, local photographers. He was friends with all sorts of people in high places. He had his means. He had his reputation. It was like, well, wow, okay, that's the arrangement. And then there was also an arrangement where Osho would sleep halfway through the day. <laughs> that's another sort of side plot to the story, but that's how he received his education. And there are stories where Osho would turn up to school and it was always an event, right? And of course, in those stories, there's there's dozens of stories. For example, there's one time where he turns up and he's caught a snake, and he's got this snake in the bag and he freaks the teacher out and all the t- children come and gather around. And that was because he'd made friends with a snake charmer and learnt to catch snakes, right? So Osho could catch his own snake and, and bring it into class. That's pretty amazing. And he'd learnt from this snake catcher also that the the charming isn't part of the music, right? Because in Indian culture, you have the, the snake charmer who's playing the flute and the, the cobra comes up and it looks like it's dancing to the sound of the flute. Well, Osho, of course, learnt that snakes are deaf and it's got nothing to do with the sound of the flute at all. It's just this illusion. And, of course, he learnt all about snakes, about their venom, how they work and where they go and all sorts of things. And then there's another story, which is where one of the schools he was at had this elephant gate. So the entrance to the school was an elephant gate. And Osho thought, well, an elephant never gets to go through it. It's just a school gate, and it seems such a shame. So he went and he made friends with someone who owned an elephant, and he asked to borrow the elephant. And he turned up one day on an elephant and rode it into the school, (laughs) right? He rode it through the elephant gate just so that the gates would have 
their proper purpose for once. <laughs> and of course, this was this huge thing like, wow, here's this kid riding an elephant to school, right? In Indian culture, elephant riding is this big long tradition that it's for kings and it's for royalty and it's for this big thing. And now it's a, now it's a tourist attraction, right? Now it's this sort of cultural iconic thing, elephant riding. But in Osho's day, it was this sort of symbolic thing, almost like you're, the, you're this divine person. And here's this boy riding this elephant. It's like, ah, Osho's come to school. <laughs> so you can imagine that there's always something going crazy when Osho turns up to school. And then other times he would make friends with some of the teachers, right? Some of the teachers he would become quite close with. I think there was one in particular that he made friends with. And then another he would walk and talk with. And (laughs) there was this funny incident where he's like, how did it go? He's sort of walking with one of his teachers and he says, oh, my teacher is walking with me to the pond or something. And the teacher turns and says, what? I'm walking with you? You mean you're walking with me? And he gets like really offended. (laughs) And it's this big thing like, you know, who's walking with who? Because of course, Osho assumes that, well, he's walking with me, even though he's your teacher. And Osho was still a kid at this stage. So, (laughs) yeah, with all these stories, you get this sense of like, this kid never took anything from anyone. He always did things on his own terms. He could never, ever have someone impress their will upon him. Which makes it very difficult for him to fit in, right? He, he had no intention of fitting in. And you could say, well, that, that means he's just a problem child. But the other side of it was, there were certain people who could see this kid was a genius. This kid knew something so much more. There was a consciousness behind him, if we can use such words, that was an anomaly. It's a cultural anomaly. And by the time Osho had finished his schooling, a lot of people had recognized that. A lot of the teachers had recognized that. And he'd actually received many awards for his public speaking and his debating and his exams. Right? And I mean... I mean, there's a few people in the school system who can just turn up on the day of the exam and do the exam and ace it, right? Ken Wilbur was one of those people. He basically turned up to do his biology degree and got a friend to tell him, when is the exam? He'll just go and and do it. And then while the course is on, he'll be doing other stuff, studying other stuff, and then ace the exam. And Osho was like that, right? He aced the exam was ducks of the school. He was just so much smarter than everyone. And I think actually I think actually Sam Prince was a bit like that as well. He was basically studying medicine and like starting a a a, a company at the same time, right? It's just like well, most people have a part time job and you're doing that. It's like what kind of level are you on? But as the story goes, by the time Osho finished school He had this huge pile of awards and certificates and qualifications and trophies and things. And what he did was he actually gathered it all together in a big pile in the backyard and he had a bonfire. He actually tore it up and set it on fire. 
And of course, his parents were there. He's just like, my goodness, we have finally lost it. He's finally just completely lost it. He's gone completely insane. And Osho says, well, I never wanted to go to school at all. It was never part of my plan and you forced me to do it. And now I am finally finished with all of that and I'm never going back. I'm never going to use it again. So he did actually work briefly as a journalist and a similar thing happened in that job with his schooling years where he sort of could do it better than anyone else and then got to a point where he didn't really need to do something and he was just sort of sitting in his chair one day and the manager walked in and said, why aren't you working? And Osho says something more it's like, I've already done all the work that I need to. And the manager gets really upset with him and Osho just says, well, I quit. I don't even need this job. So he leaves. So, yeah, I mean, from there, I mean, the rest is history, right? The rest is the phenomenon of Osho. And he was just a traveling mystic for the rest of his days. And basically, once he'd left school, he was already basically famous enough that he could travel and be known. And he did travel India a lot and meet hundreds of people a day, right? He basically just traveled nonstop since then. And we'll talk a bit more about his rise to notoriety in one of the latest chapters, but at least that gives you a sense of what it was like for him to be in the education system, what it was like for him to have teachers, some of whom could see that he was a genius and admired him, others of which became very jealous and spiteful towards, others which tried to fit him into a box and fit him into the rules, right? Normally, when you're dealing with kids, it's like, okay, we have our set of rules and assumptions and ideas of how things should be, and we just get them to fit into that. And normally, because the kids don't know any better, then they just go along with it. Some of the time, they try something else, and it sort of goes against our idea. And in that case, we say, oh, you're a bad kid right? (laughs) I see this in some of the kids that I know, right? When I'm with kids, they get in trouble and I sort of speak out and say, well, why would they get in trouble for that? What's the problem? Why would that be something that we shouldn't do? There's no reason. I don't see it. Now, it's easy for me because I'm older, but the kid is just doesn't know any better, right? And to come across someone like Osho where they do know better, he did know better and he was strong-willed enough to fight for it. It's just like, you're going to have so much catastrophic, just absolutely explosive relationship moments when that happens. So, it gives you a bit of an idea of how Osho turned into the phenomenon that he did. All right, that's probably enough for this segment. That's just a little bit about his school days. And there's really so many more stories of these little anecdotes in the book, Glimpses of a Golden Childhood. So you can go ahead and read it for yourself. Otherwise, thanks very much. We'll be back with the next 
chapter or the next part in our series very soon. So thanks very much. And that's all I have to say for now.